Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. The guest today on the podcast is Stephanie Thornton, who is the CEO of the Australian Ocean Energy Group. So, as that name suggests, this is a conversation about how we harness energy from the ocean to power our lives. As a surfer, I know the power of the ocean so well, so intimately. So the idea of harnessing that power to generate electricity has always intrigued me, be it from waves, tides, currents, etc. So I took the opportunity to do a lot of research into ocean energy for this podcast and asked Stephanie lots and lots of questions. She did a great job answering them. I hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. If you do, share it and make a comment, ask us a question. You know we love it. Thanks so much. Okay, on the podcast today, we have Stephanie Thornton, who is the CEO of the Australian Ocean Energy Group. How are you, Stephanie? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for inviting me, Tim. No problem at all. Um, I'm really excited to have this conversation. I was telling you just before that for me, I am a bit of a newbie and a beginner to ocean energy. And so on behalf of everyone who's listening today, we are going to be going through a bit of an Ocean Energy 101 but I thought we might start with a little bit about you. Uh, who is Stephanie Thornton? And uh, tell us a little bit about your relationship with the ocean. Oh, I'm happy to chat about myself. <laughs> it's actually been a very eclectic background and a very interesting journey that has brought me to where I am today. Um, I would say that uh, my my relationship with the ocean is actually, if I think about it, is in three stages. Um, in my youth, um, it was really about the ocean being a playground and, and a place of learning. Um, my family, and that's because we, at a very early age, starting at six years old, my family moved on to a fishing boat. And literally, I was six years old, and we lived on it for the next 10 years. Um, and we, uh, my, my father made his living being an abalone diver in Southern California. And, uh, and so we literally grew up uh, on the ocean, on a boat, becoming very connected to uh, playing and, and living and breathing on the ocean and, make, and my father making a living on the ocean. So it was very core. Um, in, the, in my adult life, uh, then my relationship with the ocean became professional. And uh, I've made my career working in um, ocean-related, uh, more technical area of resource planning and management and worked at a variety of jobs, both from working as a manager of, a, of a fishing industry uh, peak body to uh, ultimately becoming chief of the U.S. government's National Marine Sanctuary Program. So it's always been, my relationship's always been around conservation of the ocean, um, but taking what I've learned growing up in that passion and, and then being able to apply it in a professional setting. And then I would say the third chapter is, is where I am today in Australia and really looking, uh, taking everything I've learned uh, and all that experience, and now thinking about the ocean as a source of energy and the future. And so it's a very different way of looking at it, but it's still my playground. Was there ever a time when uh, you had career opportunities coming into your world that didn't involve the ocean? And we did you try any uh, industries that weren't ocean-related? 
Yeah, actually, um, that's a great question because I, I did take a, I, I guess you call it a sabbatical away from the ocean. Um, and it was, um, when was it? It was in uh, early 2000s when we, my husband and I moved back from London where we had been living for about three years. And we went back to the U.S. West Coast to Portland, Oregon, and I basically had to start from scratch and ended up working for uh, Portland General Electric, so a utility company. And in a way, that was um, the genesis of, of getting involved in ocean energy, but that's a different story. <laughs> but that was, that was my uh, first entree to really working for a non-ocean-related uh, business. Great. So let's talk a little bit then about uh, ocean energy and your, uh, your foray into this space. Tell us a little bit about the origins of that and where you started and obviously where you are now. Yeah, well, um, a lot of the work that I have done throughout my career, just a cumulative experience working in the government side, working in the private sector side, working on the commercial side, has really all kind of come together um, to provide an opportunity to really put it to practice for a nascent industry, for helping to build a new industry. And what the, what the origins were was at that time when I was working for Portland General Electric, um, the state of Oregon, um, a, a core group of people had been working with the, govern the state government of Oregon to uh, set aside close to five or six million dollars to invest in uh, the startup of renewable ocean energy. And it was interesting that they had the foresight to um, to see that opportunity as that particular as a, as a growth opportunity for the state. And part of that money was uh, the ability to create the the Oregon Wave Energy Trust, which was a not for profit uh, private private public private partnership to advance ocean energy um, in that in that uh, particular part of the U.S. And so I was hired uh, because of the nexus and the cumulative experience. I was hired as its first director and helped to get up and up and running. Great. Let's go a little bit deeper into then the origins of ocean energy broadly. Uh, when did we first start to, I suppose, harness uh, electricity from the ocean? Obviously, people have been harnessing other forms of energy from the ocean for a very long time. Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about the the origins of the of the sector. Yeah, boy, it's hard to pinpoint. I don't think I can pinpoint any single event. Um, really what's happened, I mean, as you just mentioned, the interest in the oceans as a source of energy has been around probably for 100, I mean, well over 100 years. For as long as as um, people have been connected to the ocean, standing on a beach, every, you know, I'm, I know that people ask, well, how, why aren't we getting energy or how can we capture that energy? And um, I'm aware that there's been inventors, uh, entrepreneurs have been looking at different ways and to engineer inventions or technologies to harness that energy for well over the last, gosh, I, it has to be at least over the last hundred years that you know they've been dabbling in it. If there was ever a time where I would say it was the turning point for ocean energy was when um, the first uh, Marine Energy Test and Demonstration Center was established in Orkney, Scotland. Uh, it was really the first place where a technology developer could take their inventions and be able to literally plug it in to understand how it would operate in a real environment of the ocean, but yet under controlled conditions. And it's much like, I guess the analogy I would say, it's, it's much like taking uh, your, your car 
into a mechanic shop and be able to test um, how it's working and test the, you know, do the diagnostics and those kinds of things. And the test center um, provided this safe place for these companies, uh, for these entrepreneurs and inventors to come in and, and literally, literally do their diagnostics and start to get uh, proof uh, to start to prove out their, their devices. And once email, uh, the, the, um, the test center that I'm referring to is European Marine Energy Test Center, or otherwise known as EMEC. And um, that was started about probably now 12 years ago. And that really was a catalyst for the industry to start uh, developing and both wave and tidal devices. And since then, several other of these test centers around the world have um, been established and been up and running. And they have close associations with academia as well. So it's also... Um, really good connection with um, with acad industry academia relationship to advance the industry. So I would say uh, in answer to your question, really probably over the last 10 to 12 years was the real starting point. So in many ways, it's still very young. And as you said, it's so nascent and everyone out there who has a relationship with the ocean just can feel that innate sense that there's energy out there that is so available to us should we be able to actually get through all the obstacles and hurdles to get there? And we will be talking about those. Um, I also love in that little exchange there, you were talking about all the inventions and innovators out there. And mm -hmm. from diving into this pre-our podcast, it really is just remarkable, the different mm -hmm. types of designs and, and extreme um, minds that are obviously being put to this challenge of how to harness that energy. I wonder if you wouldn't mind taking us through just the different types of ocean energy now that we're really starting to get into um, the actual the space, the issue. Yeah. Um, so in terms of renewable ocean energy, simply put, um, the technology devices are the means to harness the movement of ocean waters or the energy from movement of ocean waters into electricity. Just simply put, is that trans transference of energy into electricity. And the challenge is, um, in terms of trying to figure out how to harness that, are, are, are those complicated environments, whether it's ocean waves that are either offshore and big and large and high energy, or nearshore and more shallow and less energy as well as tidal, um, tidal movement, which is the in and out flow of, uh, it's the ocean, it's the in and out flow of the oceans um, following a gravitational pull of the sun, moon and earth. And so, which is a very predictable um, opportunity, presents predictable opportunities. So the different devices have to adapt to which environment they are harnessing electricity to. So if it's a if it's tidal and the movement is of uh, ocean movement is horizontal, then the 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 traditional um, technology that is being used is a tidal turbine. And so the tidal turbine is looks much like a, a ship's propeller, but of course much more sophisticated in order to harness energy that, that comes from the ocean water moving in both directions, inflow and outflow. Um, and also in terms of tidal energy, um, similar to wave, there's shallow water, there's deep water, uh, there's high flow, low flow. It really depends on what the environmental conditions are that it's set in. 
for wave energy, um, there this is where it gets really exciting because the the diversity of technologies trying to innovate this how to harness that energy is really wide open right now, and it's very exciting to see how many different variations of devices are being uh, considered right now and tested and and evaluated. Um, and so, similar to tidal energy, the technologies really are designed to adapt to the environment. Some are being designed for very large wave offshore high energy environments. So they'll be producing super megawatts of energy versus other devices that may be much smaller, um, capture less energy, but uh, might support a smaller energy demand near the shore. So the one really important message that I wanna share with you in the audience is that, that Unlike offshore wind development, which is has a, a, a very traditional device of a, of a wind turbine and very consistent, um, the development of ocean energy technologies is not going to be a one-size-fits-all. And that is a very important thing to understand because a lot of people are thinking, well, we'll just, whoever gets to the line first, whoever develops the 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 uh, wave or and or tidal technology, whoever commercializes it first will be the winner. And that's not how our industry is going to evolve. And we can talk about that uh, a little bit later. But anyway, in terms of, of uh, harnessing, uh, like harnessing ocean energy, um, it's going to be a very exciting space to, to watch these variant variations of um, uh, variant um, engineered technologies uh, evolve and progress. What about the, the third one that I was coming across, which is about ocean thermal energy? How does that sort of stack up in comparison to tidal and wave and how does it sort of uh, function? Yeah, I, I didn't mention um, some of the other sources of ocean energy, and that's a good question. Ocean thermal, um, there's, uh, um, there's offshore deep ocean current has been uh, looked at and also um, um, ocean, um, sorry, I can't. Just uh, just slipped my mind, <laughs> but there's a number of different um, investigations going on to other sources of ocean energy, and I would say there there are many of them, and most of them are in the R and D stage. Um, a lot of them they're very complex, and most of them are not being considered right now, at least that I'm not aware of, at the mainstream market level. Um, there's still a lot to understand about how these technologies would work. So for Australia specific, right now, our interest is is wave and uh, tidal. Beautiful. And I think most people out there would uh, have encountered some imagery, be it a graphic design or animation or genuine photograph or video of these, um, these systems in action. Um, you mentioned before, obviously, back over in the US, in Oregon, you've obviously mentioned Scotland. Where else in the world are we really seeing advancements and fully functioning ocean energy systems um, operating? Well, the the systems, um, the technologies, let me just start or preface the, my answer by saying that most of these technologies are still in the dem demonstration side. So they're, they matured past prototypes, um, but they're right, they're, they're progressing to the point where they're not yet quite commercial, but they're yet able to fully operate. They're gaining uh, a lot of operational data in, in the ocean and in different project settings. Um, 
so a lot of that testing, I call it testing or demonstration, uh, is happening actually all over the world, wherever there are strong resources. So, uh, for example, I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, for there is very uh, strong tidal resource in Southeast Asia uh, around Philippines and and uh, and uh, Southeast that that part of the world, and so there's development of sustainable energy systems being evaluated there. Um, Japan and China have been also very progressive in re looking and evaluating ocean energy. Um, South America, uh, Chile, and other wherever there are, like I said, strong strong pockets of 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 uh, good energy resource, they're starting to look at how to commercialize these uh, ocean energy. Excellent. Let's come back to Australia then and talk a little bit about um, what opportunities exist in Australia. I know that when it comes to tides, um, it appears it's mostly the north of Australia that has those large tidal ranges in order to support it. Uh, and then on the southern side, obviously, we have huge capacity with uh, with wave energy. So maybe talk a little bit about the context of Australia. Yeah, well, actually, Australia, in terms of the global perspective, has some of the most phenomenal resources, both tidal and wave, in the world. It, it really has the potential to be um, the central place for commercializing ocean energy if we can really strengthen the market opportunities and the deployments of these ocean energy systems. But to answer your question, um, the generally speaking, the tidal range, as, as you mentioned, in northern um, part of Australia, both west and east sides and through the north central, a uh, very strong and powerful tidal resource. So that's very exciting. But there's also a very um, strong resource in southern Australia as well, in Tasmania, um, southern Victoria and, and south, uh, south Australia. So there's some some potential for very good, uh, very um, strong uh, tidal project opportunities that are are possible there. In terms of uh, wave, um, pretty much the uh, southern southern region of uh, I mean the the south southern oceans of Australia are really the powerhouse, as you said, and um, and also Western Australia, Southwest Australia mainly are the the main. Uh, sources of of wave energy, and uh, what a one of the things that I've um, come to learn, which I didn't understand until more recently, was that the energy estimates uh, for the southern oceans, um, the ocean south of Australia, is probably one of the greatest in the world, comparable to what you would find up in the North Sea, um, up in uh, Norway. So. It has the potential for producing for ocean energy to produce some massive amount of, of electricity if it can be effectively harnessed, captured, and delivered to where it's needed. Yeah, I guess this is why for me it just it does feel like a bit of a kind of gold rush attitude and sentiment mm. because you know obviously I'm a surfer and I think you know most Australians or people around the world listening you know you can. If you haven't seen the ocean doing its wondrous uh, act of just being a violent mass of energy, then um, you know you, you, seeing that, feeling that, it just is so. It's extraordinary how powerful it is. So yeah, I can yeah. totally understand why it's just there for the waiting. But let's talk about it with the with the power and that abundant source of energy obviously comes huge constraints and huge challenges. So what are some of the main 
challenges in trying to deploy this technology and these systems into the ocean, which is obviously an incredibly harsh and dangerous place. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's an understatement. <laughs> um, yeah, there's the challenges are on many different levels, um, as there would be for building any industry. So starting with the technical, it, it, the challenge is just the devices themselves. Um, so the individual units that are capturing uh, and harnessing the the energy and trying to transfer it into electricity. Um, Take that device and when you put it out into a harsh environment that is salt corrosive, um, you know, the massive waves and energy that's hitting it 24-7, um, being able to have access to maintain those kinds of devices, uh, transferring the information and the electricity itself that's produced, um, and the list can go on in terms of how do you build a robust a device that can withstand in that environment and be reliable and operate at a at a cost level that competes uh, with other energy sources. So that's only the technical side. Um, then there's always the challenge of finding the market, the customer for who uh, will purchase this electricity and how that electricity will be used, how much electricity is needed and supplied. Um, that's a huge consideration. Uh, permitting, permitting and consent processes to establish and allow these commercial projects to go, you know, be be developed is uh, very is um, a huge hindrance because the government. Uh, this is all very new, and the governments aren't familiar with what uh, the considerations and issues are. And so, usually, there's a, a low risk threshold, and um, you know, governments want to be. Uh, they're very concerned about protecting the environment, but making sure that it doesn't impact other industrial users and many other issues. Um, the another factor is uh, supply chain. Uh, it's really you know just having a device by itself is not going to generate electricity on its own. We need to have suppliers who know how to electricians who know how to hook up um, and and supply the electric you know electricity uh, source. And distributed, um, we have to have suppliers that are know how to work with underwater systems and set that up. And I could keep going. <laughs> it's a, it's a long list, um, and and just even generally the public being supportive. I mean, people like yourself in a community who uh, lives and 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 respects the ocean and and depends on it, you know, and and very appreciative of it to support this kind of development without feeling threatened and understanding that it's, it's part of our you know, opportunity for the future clean, as a clean source of energy. Yeah, and on that, I mean, the, the Australian surfing community and conservation community have spent a lot of time in recent years um, you know, trying to pursue preservation of the Southern Ocean and particularly around the Great Australian Bight in terms of the petroleum exploration licences down there. And obviously the you know, the dominant argument that was coming through there was around the, the violent behaviour of this ocean and therefore the risks mm. to um, to oil and gas extraction. So yeah. um, I suppose the, the good side of that in terms of the social licence is uh, damage to offshore renewable energy in the form of wave um, is going to be a very different type of impact than a petroleum extraction project. Um, so, yeah, talk about that a little bit about the social licence of of ocean energy um you know i could imagine that you would have 
you know, much less resistance than potential fossil fuel-based um, energy projects. Tell us a little bit about um, yeah, social licence in the context of OE. Yeah, well, it is different than uh, offshore energy development. And I'd like to think that uh, we as an industry are very passionate and absolutely intimately concerned with environmental protection as, as other community members would be. Um, no one wants to be hurting animals or the physical environment or the biological ecosystem. So that's the first thing to understand. And so a lot of investment is being put into environmental monitoring and doing the research to understand um, and to, to, to gain advanced data before devices go in to understand how they operate in the environment. So, so that's the first thing is having a, a preliminary understanding of where we're going and being able to protect that environment. Um, but in terms of social license, there's, um, I see so many benefits. I mean, in terms of if we are able to transition to a clean, a low carbon uh, alternative sources of energy and being able to really reduce environmental risks, uh, being able to um, help communities increase jobs and be able to get excited about the fact that renewable energy is um, a perpetual source. It's a source of clean energy. It uh, can add to the energy mix. It's not a replacement by any means, but it can add um, diversity and, and resources um, to those communities. And it just, um, it enriches them, I believe. And and I think the most important thing is, is going to be um, certainly environmental protection and, uh, and and reduce risks in the environmental risks in those communities. Yeah, I think I could probably speak for people listening in who maybe when they lend their mind to think about this ocean energy contributing towards um, Australia's energy needs, they might want to imagine probably as I did before I started my research, that we're talking about these incredible technologies that then plug into the national grid and suddenly a proportion of our overall uh, footprint is from ocean energy sources. But actually, when we start talking about the applications, they're, they're quite different, aren't they? Very localised and very specific. Do you want to start to talk about how some of the applications of this um, technology and systems can meet specific needs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, this is what to me is the very exciting part about developing ocean energy as a, as a sector. And I mentioned earlier in our conversation that ocean energy, in my view, is not going to be a one size fits all. And part of the reason for that is because unlike, uh, let's say, um, offshore wind, where there was a single device uh, designed and, and matured, um, and it's pretty limited in where uh, a, an offshore wind uh, structure can go. Uh, ocean renewables, both wave and tidal, have a real diverse opportunity for what I call applications. And um, and it's starting to, what we're trying to work hard to is to it, get people to think about the opportunities for ocean energy in many different areas that are non-traditional. So it is true that the first thing people think about is utilities, just Put in a device in the ocean, pump out those you know electrons, and get it into into the utility uh, into the electrical grid. But that's really not how it's going to work. And the opportunities for uh, for ocean energy could fit uh, sources of energy for desalination. It could fit aquaculture production of green hydrogen, uh, coastal protection, um, offshore monitoring and and navigation uh, opportunities. 
niche applications in the offshore energy sector, like sense, providing electricity for sensors in deep water. Um, and, you know, there's probably, and, and definitely what I didn't mention, the most important one is remote communities, um, and which provides, you know, which Australia can really benefit from uh, ocean energy in these, because it has so many remote areas and communities that where if it was, if ocean energy supplemented their energy system, it could be very powerful and economically beneficial. So um, we're, that's the area that we're really targeting and excited about. Exactly. And you only need to look at those maps of how Australia's population is situated around the coastline. I think it's, you know, 85% of the population within 50 kilometres of the coast and obviously the energy infrastructure currently required to to feed the demand, um, you know, has a lot of an impact associated with it. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely exciting. Um, let's talk a little bit specifically about the Ocean Energy, um, Australian Ocean Energy Group. Um, tell us a little bit about the history of it, its origins and what it's here to do. Yeah, um, that's that's uh, my <laughs> exciting day-to-day -day work, um, so I'm always happy to talk about it. Now, the, the um, Australian Ocean Energy Group really had an interesting beginning, and it started in um, uh, 2016 when a number of uh, ocean energy developers, just the technology developers, there were eight of us, um, and I was at the time I was working for Mako Tidal Turbines, and so I was involved on the developer side, and we convened at the first Australian Ocean Energy Conference. And of course, as technology developers um, and, and companies, we were commiserating about, oh my gosh, the we may be a small group, but we have something to offer Australia. And if we could start to speak with one voice and start to identify what the barriers are to our industry, we could really start to um, mobilize some, some direction and, and build a, a nascent industry for Australia. So. We had that conversation, and um, what we what we we put our ideas immediately into action by forming the Australian Marine Energy Task Force. So we just created a small working group of um, the ocean energy developers, and um, again, just eight of us, <laughs> but really started with a small core to understand and to um, identify our single prior our priority issues. Um, to make a long story short, we we progressed that priority set of issues uh, into a good story and to understanding and building a, starting to build out to a, a group of stakeholders who really wanted to see our future and see the future of ocean energy in Australia. And that led ultimately to uh, the idea of creating an economic cluster, um, deliberately chosen that structure because of its benefit over a, an industry body and we were able to get, uh, we really appreciate that we received sponsorship support from Climate Kick Australia, who was um, getting set up. So we, it, we're we a really good fit with um, ocean energy as, as a solution for climate change. So we, uh, that's a, that was a really great opportunity. And then we received startup funding from National Energy Resources Australia. So that's given us the ability to transition from a working task force and just eight technology developers to now a group of over 20 um, members uh, diversified in both academia, industry, uh, government, um, and working together now to com accelerate commercialization of Australia's ocean energy sector. Great. So maybe tell us a little bit about some of those members um, and what the plans are for the future. 
Yeah, well, we still have the original core of technology developers. Um, and what I'm excited about is that we have technology developers, not just from Australia, but we have uh, international ones as well. So um, it's, it's great to have that diversity and interest. Plus we work, uh, although they're not members, we, we still are in communication and working with developers in other countries who are interested in coming to Australia and, and looking at the opportunity for evolving here. Um, but our other members include um, uh, the universities. We have five universities, um, pretty much the main universities that are involved in renewable ocean energy or I should say renewables in general, but have particular interest and uh, research agendas around uh, ocean energy. Um, and, uh, and then we are building out, we also have consultants, um, specialists that uh, have been working in areas that would add value to ocean energy that will start helping to be the, the, um, spe the special expertise that can help us advance some of the technical work that's needed as well. And we still, the future is to build out, um, to continue attracting memberships in government because it's really important that government is uh, understands what we're trying to do both at the local state and Commonwealth levels. And then also our end users who are our customers. That That is the part that's really critical. We've spoken a little bit about um, some of the association you have with the Blue Economy Cooperative Research Center and some some plans for the future. Um, are you allowed to speak much about those? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Blue Economy CRC is a new program, and it's a, a 10-year, over $380 million uh, Australian program, R&D program. And it's really exciting. It's probably um, one of the best opportunities for Australia to really advance its blue economy. And it's a very encompassing, which is, which is wonderful. So we fit in, well, let me step back a second. So the main objective and the catalyst around which the blue economy CRC was created was to solve a problem for aqu the aquaculture sector, which is that they are being pressured to move from inshore operations to further offshore. And the challenge is, much like ocean energy technologies, the further you go offshore, the higher risk, the more difficult and complex the environment is. And to produce food for us, you know, the, the country and for export, um, it's a big challenge how you engineer something like that. But the CRC is playing a, a really important role to be a catalyst to look at the different solutions of how they can help aquaculture make this transition. And so particular for us, now they're very inclusive, but particular for us, for ocean energy, we are participating um, with the CRC to evaluate how ocean energy technologies can help provide energy, uh, be a perpetual source of energy when they can't be connected to land and to be able to support their offshore operations and be part of an offshore integrated energy system. So we would, ocean energies would be part of solar and some offshore wind and, and hydrogen production and other things that would combine to support aquaculture to, um, to operate successfully and productively offshore. So it's not just limited to that, but that's the core of, of what the blue economy was created. So we'll, we'll play a, be playing a big uh, contributing part to that. Yeah, and certainly with um, OIO, one of our theme areas is this idea of, of new frontiers and 
offshore aquaculture and marine permaculture and all these things and obviously solving that energy need is a huge part of them being able to progress and move forward. Um, I wonder if you take us through a little bit more about um, Australia and I noticed that there's been um, previous investment in projects right around different parts of Australia. Some of those have have finalised now, others are still going. Um, Maybe just take us through some of those examples of where these technologies have been tested um, around the country and, and feel free to drop some names of some of those that are, are doing well. Okay. Yeah, there's some, um, uh, I'm really excited because there, there are uh, technology developers that are progressing uh, demonstration of their, their uh, devices, which is really exciting. So on, I'll start with the tidal side. Um, so on the tidal side, Mako Tidal Turbines um, has partnered with, the port of Gladstone um, in the uh, eastern part of uh, Australia, and um, they are they were doing a, a limited test or demonstration of their technology uh, in the port operations and aligned with port. And Mako Tidal Turbines has an interesting technology because they have a smaller turbine. So uh, they were their evaluation and investigation was looking how for how a smaller turbine. Uh, could support uh, a very narrow, not a narrow, but a a specified uh, energy need within an industrial port. Uh, Another, then shifting to the wave side, um, a company called Waveswell uh, has been, is developing a very exciting uh, technology. um, That's a wave technology. It's called an oscillating water column. And their device is now being uh, built, constructed, and will be deployed a, a little bit later this year, within a few months, in King Island. And so they're looking at uh, um, um, a prototype, not a, uh, not, sorry, not a prototype, but a, um, a full-scale device, but but in the demonstration phase to prove out how it works and to, to establish um, its operation. So that's pretty exciting because there'll be a real physical opportunity, although it's a long way to get to to see. <laughs> but uh, but that will be going in the water. Um, and then another company, Carnegie Carnegie Clean Energy, is in WA. Uh, they're a wave energy developer that have um, a, a buoy system. And their device, their latest device is called the CEDO-6. And they will be deploying their new version of the CEDO-6 at Garden Island, which is uh, one of their uh, test facility locations. Uh, it's actually... Uh, just an aside, this, uh, Carnegie's Garden Island facility is is very exciting because it's a fully established uh, integrated ocean energy system. And what I mean by that is it's a they actually have uh, an integrated system with solar, uh, two megawatt solar farm, desalination unit, um, um, battery storage, and then an, a hookup offshore where Carnegie can deploy their CEDO device be able to test it as part of this microgrid system and whatever electricity is generated, they're able to sell to Department of Defense as the off taker. And so um, that is probably one of the most exciting things because it actually shows and demonstrates how ocean energy connects with, with other devices. Um, and so that's, that's very exciting. Whereas Waveswell and, um, and uh, Mako are more of standalone devices to showcase how, how they can operate and will eventually, uh, those will, you know, once they're proven, they'll eventually expand into um, commercial operations. Yeah, and I'm, I encourage listeners to actually go and, and do some searching online for some of these 
um, businesses and the technologies that they've developed because, yeah, the diversity, as I was saying at the beginning, is just remarkable. Waves, mm. well, I think I heard them described as like a, a blowhole type model. So <laughs> the energy going in and then that pressure building up like a blowhole is being captured and then obviously yeah. – Carnegie, very different with the buoy, uh, the buoy sort of submerged below the uh, the ocean surface. So that, the diversity is incredible. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the kinds of characters and the innovators and the inventors out there that are lending their mind to trying to solve these problems. There must be some really, really interesting people out there. What's it like working in the sector and all these different personalities? <laughs> um uh, it's fantastic. I mean, what can I say? They're they're um, and they're not even. I don't. I wouldn't characterize them as characters. Um, they're really very smart people. They're entrepreneurial and they're pioneers. And um, and I respect them so much because they're pushing, you know, a, a, a large boulder up a massive mountain because the challenges at this early stage, there's no ready source of money. The government is not really championing them. Um, it's very, very difficult to, to develop their new product and say, um, look, we can, this is something of value for the country and the world and for future energy supply and all this. And it's very hard to get that, that story out there. Um, but as individuals, you know, they um, live and work in communities. They, they hire, they, you know, they're, they're a part of the community of where they operate. And, uh, and um, it's a very rich environment. I mean, and it's exciting. It's very, it's a, place of learning so I think we'll um you know we'll start to to head towards that part of the conversation now to to sort of do full go full circle but yeah let's talk a little bit more about those challenges and obviously knowing what you know about ocean impact organization and the community and the inspiration we want to foster for the end goal of creating an abundant and sustainable ocean um, yeah, give us an insight into some of those challenges and, and particularly like where people who are listening in can contribute to pursuing this wonderful, rich and exciting future. Yeah, well, I think, first of all, the, the, what I think is the most important right now for our industry is now to generate interest by the public and by future markets or opportunities to want to have to be interested in ocean energy and want to engage with the developers and start to say, look, I, we're really interested in learning more. We know that you're still developing, but we, we want to start the conversations. And that that applies to communities and the public that are, you know, that are looking at new sources of energy or maybe having thought of new sources, but are saying, you know what, I'm really interested in this. How can I learn more? Um, they can certainly engage with Australian Ocean Energy Group because we'll be evolving into um, a place where we can provide more support and information. But for right now, um, being able to be positive and 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 uh, supportive of ocean energy rather than um, being negative about it, you know, for example, what I mean is that I, I raised the issue earlier about concerns about environmental protection. Um, so what we what we really want is the public to want ocean energy and then work with us to develop the right kind of monitoring and research programs that are needed to answer those questions rather than just say, no, we don't want it because we don't know anything about it. Um, and that that happens, you know, that's been a, a frequent challenge for the industry globally um, is 
you know, that's it's human nature to say, no, we don't want it as too risky. We don't know anything about it versus, well, wait a minute, let's learn some more and I'll, I'll get it a little bit more involved so we can help nurture this. Um, and so uh, I guess just reiterating that I, what I really want to see is early engagement is engaging now with the industry, not, not waiting until they have the perfect device because it will never be perfect. It's got these developers really need to hear from the markets and hear from the public what it is is needed in their communities. Mm. What about price? Um, obviously, the price of establishing and then therefore how cost competitive um, this energy can be. Yeah, well, that that's always the, the central issue is what is it going to cost to produce electricity? And I would say that, of course, when any new technology is in development, um, it's always going to be more expensive than once it matures and gets into the mainstream market. So it is more expensive at the moment. However, one of the important things I mentioned earlier about the, all the different market applications and what's really important to consider is that the pricing uh, is aligned with whatever particular market application there is. So if we're talking about a device uh, helping to replace diesel or to reduce diesel consumption, that's one economic factor. But if we're talking about um, an ocean energy device producing electricity for, um, I don't know, let's say an oil and gas company or for a particular aspect of their operations, that would be a different about economic factor. So what I'm trying to say is that the, the costs, uh, there's no ready-made answer and, and we can't say like offshore wind that you know these devices are gonna produce electricity at this price and it's gonna compete at this level. It will be market dependent and, and also the operation and type of device and the size and scale and location and a lot of variables. Mm. Wonderful. So let's talk a little bit then about um, where we can send people who are interested from this conversation today um, to learn more information, both about the, the group that you lead and about the, um, the sector more generally. Where are some of those destinations you'd encourage people to go to find out more? Yeah, well, certainly we invite people to engage with us, of course. You can go to our website and, and, um, we, and be able to get a little bit more information uh, we will be upgrading our, our website soon. So we'll have a lot more information about uh, the devices and, and uh, background on the industry. But in the meantime, uh, there's a lot of good resources. The European Marine Energy Center, I, I mentioned them earlier, is a fantastic resource because they, they're well-established. They have a lot of information what ocean energy is and how it operates um, and all the different technologies um, but in Australia in particular, also you can go direct to websites of the different developers and there will be a lot of uh, immediate information specific to them and their technology and their projects and where they're at in terms of operation. So AOEG works on the industry side across all of them, but if there's interest in, uh, in, in a particular device, you can always uh, go to their site. Um, and if and if um, and if a member of your audience is not familiar with what those companies are, they can certainly contact us, and I can help direct them to the different companies that that they may be interested if they have a particular area. Awesome. Well, um, yeah. Stephanie, I've just found getting to know you and getting to mm -hmm. take a deep dive into this industry. <laughs> 
incredibly enlightening and exciting oh. and certainly on behalf of Ocean Impact Organisation, we'll be doing whatever we can to, um, to help educate and inspire the crowd out there who just happen to, to take, take the time to listen to us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And it's great to reach out to your audience and introduce Ocean Renewable Ocean Energy. It has a bright future. So thank, thank you. Thanks, Stephanie. Yeah, thank you. Take the ocean out of